there was one girl there who was sharing very openly about her attraction to women, her experience dating women in these like spiritual lessons. And I was very intrigued by her. And I found myself journaling about her a lot. And I was like, what is it? Why am I so drawn to her? Is it because I'm like jealous? Like, is it because I'm intrigued? And then I was like, I feel like there's this kind of like attraction. And then I was like, is it because there aren't really any men here? Like I really had all this time to just really process everything. And I basically realized after like, like two weeks, because that's the other thing, it was only a three week experience, but it was so immersive that it was, you know, a lot happened in a short amount of time. But I realized after two weeks, I was like, I'm in love with her. Welcome to Openly Spoken. I'm your host, Celia Antonio, growth mindset and mindfulness mentor who loves to lead with quantum self-love. In this podcast, you'll get to hear real and unfiltered stories covering topics around spirituality, womanhood, healing, love, relationships, and more. This podcast is for spiritual, ambitious women who want to live a life that they are in love with and who are looking for a more aligned way to do things because the world loves to tell us women what we quote, should be. So think of this podcast and my work as your guide to bring you back home to your truth and what makes you uniquely magical. Feel free to connect with me over on Instagram at selfexpressbabe, where I periodically share video content from the podcast and where my DMs are open for you to connect with me. I'm so grateful that you chose to listen in today and I invite you now to set an intention, sit back, relax, and receive the transmission coming to you through Openly Spoken. Thank you for being here. Now let's dive in. Hello, welcome back to Openly Spoken. This is going to be the last episode of Pride Month. This has been a really fun month, a really eye-opening month. I've learned so many things and I'm very excited to bring you this week's guest, Maria Eilerson. She is someone that has been on the podcast twice before. You can find her on the first and second episode of season two, where we talk about PR. And Maria Eilerson is an award-winning PR coach. She's a yoga teacher, and she's the founder of Be Conscious PR. And she empowers heart-centered entrepreneurs to get the recognition they deserve in the media so that they can reach millions of people and make a bigger impact. With over a decade of experience working across agency, freelance, and in-house roles in the industry, including heading up global PR for a multi-million dollar travel company, as well as 350 plus hours of yoga teacher training under her belt, Maria's approach is both grounded in experience and her uniquely conscious view of PR. She's been featured in places like Business Insider, Yahoo News, Pop Sugar, and more, and was awarded Europe's 2021 Impactful Founder of the Year by Acquisition International. And in this little chat that we have, it's a very casual chat. We went on for a while. Very fun. It's always very fun to have Maria on. You're welcome back anytime, Maria. (laughs) And we chatted about, we went on a huge little tangent where we talked about kind of like yoga philosophy and relating it to discovering yourself and your identity. We talked about 
the male gaze. We talked about how coming out isn't something that is just like one big event. It kind of just, you come out and then you have to come out daily <laughs> to everyone around you, which is something that I've also heard from other guests. So that's something that I didn't even think about before sitting down and doing these conversations, doing these episodes. And um, yeah, this is just kind of like a very casual episode where I would invite you to kind of just sit with some of the topics that we bring up, especially I found it very interesting to talk about the male gaze and to really reflect on like how you have maybe played into that. And yeah, I hope that you like this episode. I also really hope you like Maria's story. Maria shared her coming out story. And when she shared it, I had tears in my eyes. It was such a beautiful story. I hope you enjoy it. So go ahead and grab a cup of tea, go find somewhere comfy to sit and let's get ready to have a chat with Maria. Amazing recording. Welcome back, Maria. I am so excited to have you on Openly Spoken for the third time, especially since we are going to be celebrating Pride Month. Yay! So excited yeah. to be back on and have Pride. Mm-hmm. And I'm excited to hear more. <clears throat> I'm excited to hear more like personal, a little more like personal side of you, the more like just to get to know you deeper, you know, and share that with with uh, our listeners. And also, hopefully this whole month, everything that we share, all the stories that we share helps at least one person out there who is struggling. So yeah, thank you for being yeah, here. thank you so much for for creating this space and inviting us onto your platform. Because um, I know from personal experience, which we will definitely get into, um, representation is just so incredibly important. And I wish there were podcasts like this when mm-hmm. I was younger, figuring everything out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I had another, I think actually all of the guests have mentioned that, that representation is important. And then I've kind of been like, oh my gosh, am I like showing enough variety of the community in this month? Cause it's like just all women. <laughs> Mm. I'm just I just had all lesbians on like there's 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 no one else there's no one who's like bisexual no one who is um gender fluid no one who is like all these other things there's no one no one on here that was trans Mm. but this is who I have access to for now well you have a bisexual Um, one now so yay there's a bit more more representation that way but okay you know it's, it's a little a little goes a little goes a long way right it's like it's like what we talk to, well, I'm sure you talk to your clients about too, like when you're conscious and when you want to do good things in the world, it's really easy to almost get this paralysis of like, well, I can't do, I want to do all the things and I can't do all the things and then you don't do anything. Mm. And providing a platform for queer women does mm. go a long way because um, within the LGBTQI plus community, there is, you know, obviously there's so much diversity and we want to try to represent everyone. Um, but as one person, you can't possibly represent everyone. And queer women for a long time have been erased. So 
Mm. You're doing something by, by making us visible. Yeah. Awesome. And we had your partner on Raquel and she also mentioned this thing about like women being erased. And she mentioned how within the trans community, there's more representation of trans women because they were born a man, but there isn't as much representation of trans men. <laughs> and she mentioned like, because, you know, they, they were born as a woman. So their identity is just like completely erased. <laughs> it's very interesting. Like what I get to learn from all of you sharing with me. Mm. So, yeah. So let's dive in. I would love to hear, of course, your story and everything that you've been through with like coming out even to yourself, to your family, your whole journey with dating. And then I also know that you are a yoga teacher and I've touched on this just a tiny bit in some of the other episodes I've recorded for this month, but hopefully we have some time to like talk about it a little bit deeper of this kind of like weird I don't know what the word is for it. Like this kind of like weird thing in yoga where like yoga is like nonviolence and like all about love and stuff. But there's this like non-inclusiveness when it comes to the LGBTQIA plus community with yoga, like where there, there are some studios, like you don't feel safe to go there and things like that. So <laughs> those are the things I would love to talk about. But also, (laughs) yes, I I would also like to like uh, offer if there's anything that's like on your heart besides what I've mentioned that you want to talk about, we can invite that into the space too. Sounds good. Okay, cool. (laughs) So where do we begin? (laughs) Yeah, I know. I know. I hear you. Um, I also feel like I've been set up really well for recording this episode in part because I'm actually working on a piece for um, like an an article about the evolution of pride. Um, Mm. But it also has gotten me into that like state of writing, you know, like back when you're in uni and you're like, or in college and you're like in the place of writing. And then when you kind of go out of it, you're a little bit like disconnected Mm. from the world. So I'm like, okay, now we're in speaking mode, not in writing mode, but I feel like I'm, I mean, I'm in that headspace of talking about pride and queer issues and I actually just finished a brilliant book that I would love to recommend to readers um, by Jen Winston um, called Bisexual, no, it's called Greedy, Notes from a Bisexual Who Wants Too Much. Mm. Um, and it was really, it really affirmed my, my identity as, a, as bisexual, um, which is something that I have been questioning, um, which what I, what was really comforting in the book was one of the things she talks about is how that whole questioning element and that confusion is such a natural part of being bisexual because of the conditioning and because of the bi erasure, right? That like, depending on who you are with, like right now I'm with a woman. And so people would guess, you know, or maybe assume that I'm a lesbian versus if I'm with a man, I could pass as straight. And so you're kind of, it's hard to have bisexual representation unless you like, you know, kind of share it um, or are vocal about it. Um, and then also the, the biphobia that exists both from the straight community, but also within the queer community. So you kind of like, don't ever really feel like queer enough. And then you're like, I can pass as straight, but then I'm like repressing this part of myself. So it is kind of like confusing. And it was just like, I, I think it just really speaks to just again, representation and why it's so valuable. Like, it seems like something that people just 
say it over and over again. And maybe if you're not queer, it kind of, you're like, okay, I get it. Or, you know, it doesn't really seem like that big a deal, but it just, you know, especially because I've been questioning like kind of recently reading this book, it was just like, whoa, like it just feeling seen and feeling like someone is sharing a similar experience. You just go, okay, I am normal. Because mm. one big part of my journey in coming out was, it was a lot around like, am I queer enough? Mm. Which is such a, you know, when I talk to my queer friends about it, they're like, that's such a ridiculous idea. Because the <laughs> whole point of being queer is that you get to just be who you are. Like, you don't have to like fit into, you know, these boxes and stuff. Um, so it's kind of like this paradox, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, it was comforting to read that like, you know, that's, that's a very common um, thing for bisexual p- people. Um, and also like she had all these like interesting stats that I didn't know. And like one of them that stood out was that actually, I think it was, it's only like, I mean, now I don't remember the exact percentage, but maybe it's like a third, um, only a third of um, bisexuals are actually out. Like a lot of people don't share it, mm-hmm. um, which is another reason why like, okay, so you might actually know a lot of people who are bisexual, but because they're not vocal about it and because maybe they're in a relationship that looks like it's straight, you would mm-hmm. never know. Yeah. Um, which just goes to show again, why it's so important to like talk about these things. Mm-hmm. So this sounds like a recent kind of like discovery for yourself. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's been more of like a, like, it's what I thought I, I was originally. Okay. And then being in a relationship with a serious relationship with a woman for so long. Mm-hmm. And I guess unlearning like all of the conditioning, mm-hmm. I started questioning my relationships that I'd had with men um and quite um like and I think it was really like it was kind of naturally like it was naturally happening just by virtue of being with a with a with a like with someone who identifies as a lesbian Mm -hmm. um just like hearing her thoughts and her experience and stuff and like questioning some of my stuff um but also because I was I've been listening like I as part of my journey in general I've been listening to a lot of like podcasts and one podcast that's great is called the coming out pod. It's just coming out stories, which are still, you know, so valuable um, of all different kinds of people. And so it's very, very representative, representative of the kind of full spectrum um, and, and the whole community. Um, and one, one episode on that podcast was an interview with this young Gen Z lesbian, something that me and Raquel talk about very often, like, Gen Z's have it so good when it comes to this stuff, which is obviously so easy to say as older. Like, obviously, they have, mm-hmm. like, you know, um, they have more more media to look at. They have yeah. more variety in media. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And if you're, even if you are in a community where maybe there isn't representation, you can go on the internet and you can find representation in a yeah. way that, um, that wasn't accessible to us. Um, but she talked about, this document that's been circulating on TikTok and it shows my, the fact that I'm not a Gen Z, the fact that I found out from a podcast about something that was circulating on TikTok. Um, but it's this document. Um, and if you Google it, you'll find it. It's, it's, I don't remember exactly what it's called, but it's a document that's basically, it's like really extensive. Um, it's a document that's compiled to help um, people figure out whether or not they're a lesbian with a bunch of questions, mm. with a bunch of information. And so there's all this stuff in there about, the male gaze, which, you know, I knew about before and compulsory heterosexuality, which is, 
a term I hadn't heard before, but, you know, obviously makes a lot of sense that we were all what, born into. What does that mean? Compulsive um, heterosexuality is what you said? Yeah. So we're born into the patriarchy and we're born into a society where heterosexuality is what is expected. It is what is mm. assumed. It is what is taught. Right. Like from when we're very, very young, you see like a girl running after a boy. It's like, oh, my God, she's got a crush. Like literally from or even like Disney movies, how it, yeah, Disney movies. storybooks, how it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then like the side note there is that, you know, if then there's a cartoon or something and there's two women characters kissing, then conservatives will like go off and be like, children are too young for this. It's like, well, you have no issue when it's like a boy and a girl. And it's like, yeah. like they're like, you know, it's like. Minnie Mouse and Mickey Mouse, like they're, they're mice. They're not people <laughs> like they're, you know, but you are giving them, you're sexualizing them and that's okay. Yeah. Um, anyway, side note, but yeah, compulsory <laughs> heterosexuality is, is yeah, that it's very much something that we've been conditioned to, mm-hmm. um, to perform. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and so a big section of the document is about that. And so it's asking your, yourself questions and there's just all these things in there that I didn't realize were really common. Like, apparently for, I mean, this is according to the document, but it's common for lesbians um, or women who identify as lesbian that um, that they maybe would have crushes on men, but they would typically be men that were inaccessible. So like men in like, you know, actors mm-hmm. or like famous people or cartoons mm-hmm. um, because part of them maybe deep down knew that they weren't, didn't actually want to have an experience with a man. Um, And then there's another, there was another element in there that was about like attraction, Mm -hmm. like whether, how do they phrase it? Like you can be, you can have, you can find someone attractive, but that's different from being attracted to someone. Mm. That's something that Raquel and I will talk about where she'll say, you know, she can, she can find a lot of men really attractive and be like, wow, like that's, Mm -hmm. you know, but then she's like, but I know I'm, I'm. A lesbian because I don't want to touch him or get intimate with him, you know, but I can really appreciate, you know, some like how handsome someone is or something like that. Um, and that was just, I think that was why I was just kind of going through it. I was really like questioning a lot of the relationships. And I think maybe that's where there's this overlap too of, you know, I've lived my life as a straight woman repressing this part of me, which when we get into my story, I'll give more context to. Um, But it's also quite common for like, you know, it's part of the feminist movement as well. And Mm. that like for women to realize how conditioned they've been to perform for the male gaze as well. Do you Mm, see what I mean? So that's why there's like this added layer that like it's, it, it, it wasn't, that's why I think I had to go through that process to really like check because I think uh, sadly it is quite common. I mean, I don't want to speak on behalf of all women, but from my friends, the conversations I've had in my own experiences, like it is a lot, it's quite common to have done things or, you know, been intimate in ways with men that you maybe didn't actually want, but it was kind of like, you felt like it was expected or it's like more of a performance for what you think you should do versus what you actually want to do. Yeah. And I think that's why it was just kind of a, it was, yeah, it was just a more confusing, complex thing to kind of um, explore and navigate and understand about myself. Mm-hmm. I got tingles when you mentioned that about the male gaze, because I definitely experienced that as well. And it's like this kind of like disempowering 
experience to go through of where like what you really want to do, you like hold it back or cage it in. Like I remember when was this, uh, maybe like 2010 Uh, in 2010, I remember my grandmother, like gave me these, um, bras that were like bralettes. And that was before like bralettes, like were easy to find in America here. Um, but my grandmother lives in Germany and that's like the norm over there. And I remember like wearing it and I'm like, oh my God, yes, my boobs feel great. (laughs) But my boyfriend at the time was like, ew, what is that bra? You look like a boy. And like, was like, was basically like feeding to feeding into this like idea of like women have to wear padded push-up bras and like, I need to see cleavage and stuff. And like, I went through a whole journey in my life of like accepting my little boobs that I love Mm. so much. And a huge part of that was this like expectation of like with the male gaze of like men, like big boobs, you know, like this like narrative that isn't actually true because there's so many different kinds of people out there. There's so many different kinds of body types out there and -hmm. there's so many different levels of like consciousness out there you know, like when you're at a certain level of consciousness, like probably doesn't even matter to you what your significant other looks like. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, it's such an interesting thing. Like you bring that up with the bra. Cause I remember I had a friend, um, and I think in our early twenties, she had a boyfriend and I never really liked him. And he was (laughs) like, and then she shared this thing with me. I didn't know him very well because she was living in a different city. Um, but she shared that like, he always expected her bra and underwear to match and she didn't wear her Mm. bra, like matching bra and underwear. And I was just like, I didn't even, I was like, that like blew my mind. I'm like, I knew I like, I understood the whole performing for the male gaze and whatever, but the fact that like a man would actually like actually say that out loud, that that expectation. Yeah. I was just, yeah, no, but I, I get it. And, and I mean, there's another great book that I'll recommend, which is women don't know you pretty by um, Florence Gibbons. Great. She's also very young and it's just like full of feminist theory in there. She herself is, I believe she identifies as bisexual and queer. So there's a whole section on queerness as well, which I loved, which was like, I think that the chapter's name was something like, is it a girl crush or are you queer? And I was like, hmm, relate. <laughs> <laughs> because that's another like really common thing is like with attraction to women, at least for me, which apparently, yeah, it's quite common is like, do I, do I like her? Do I want to be her or both? You know, because I obviously can also be like, Oh wow, I really like that outfit or like really Mm -hmm. like that combination of earrings and that makeup. And then I'll also be like, "Mm, I'm also attracted to her. And it's like, it's just, Mm -hmm. this really, it's just very different from the attraction to men. Um, But yeah. um, But yeah, in that she talks about the male gaze a lot as well. And, and also talks about how it's really addictive like I can find myself still yeah. performing for yeah. it, you know, like, cause you get like it, a reward out of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's funny. It's like, you just, you know, it's like, it's hard to like articulate, but you just know like how to perform in a way to get the attention of a mm-hmm. man. Mm-hmm. And it's just so fucked up that then, you know, you also, like you said, get this reward. Like it is so addictive. And in the book, she mentions that, that she like, she had to quit it cold Turkey. Like that was the only way it's like, it's like a drug that like, you have to just, completely go off of it but that's the only way you can really figure out like what is me and what I like about me and how I want to express myself and what is me performing to get this attention um because obviously like it also awards you with you know certain advantages if you perform for it you know because 
you're, you're doing what is expected of you. So there's just like all these layers to it. Or like if you work in the service industry, like I used to waitress for a while and like, I just remember kind of like, I guess the word, right word is like playing, like playing the men so that I can get like more tips. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. you know, like acting differently with, with the patrons I had that were men because like, I knew how to connect at a certain level that would like get me a really good tip. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. So it's like also, you know, use it to use it to your advantage, but it's, it's like, it's, yeah, it, it was, it's such a, like, once you see it, it's like yeah. really hard to unsee it. But I think it's such an important like thing for us to discuss as, mm-hmm. as women or just as people who don't identify as, as men, because it's, yeah. it's, it's very much there. And, um also the privileges obviously that come with being a man like that's something I Mm. I don't remember exactly where I heard this probably from one of the podcasts that I was listening to but I think um what you mentioned about there being a more visibility of trans women versus trans men part of it is also because once they become trans like one like being a trans man if you can pass as a as you know, as a man, you get all you get awarded the privileges. And I think that's what some uh, trans men have no shared, having shared that they're like, yeah. whoa, like this privilege thing is really real because as soon as I transitioned, I started getting all these benefits and the other and the other way around too, right? That it's like, and that's part of it. That's part of it as well. Um, I mean, I'm like, no, I'm no expert. I'm also continually like learning and stuff, and I'm not gonna speak on behalf of the trans community, but that was just something that I think was really like worth noting as well. That's um, wild. <laughs> yeah, because it played, there are so many, there are so many layers of privilege, right? Like I, I have like cisgender privilege. I have like straight passing privilege. Like if I wanted to, I could, you know, mm-hmm. let them like completely hide the fact that I'm queer where for some people they can't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's all these like layers to it. And, and that's also something that a lot of the, the queer texts I've been reading talk about that, like just how important it is for us as queer people to really acknowledge that like, it is all of our responsibility that in order for any queer people to be free, we have to like, everyone needs to be free, which is kind of like plays into that yogic principle or in philosophy as well. Right. That like, it's Mm -hmm. not just about freedom for the few or your personal enlightenment. Like it is, you know, within the community too, there are like, degrees of privilege like gay white men are the most privileged and then you know there are trans non-binary people of color Mm -hmm. they are more marginalized and you we have to acknowledge that within the community as well and that was actually one thing that I think really I didn't know until I came out and I started Mm -hmm. being in the community and like trying to connect and whatever like that's when I started learning all those things Mm because being from the outside you know back when I was denying the fact that I was queer. It was very like, oh, it just looks like this like happy rainbow family. And it's like, it's not, <laughs> you know, like it's like, it's an incredibly diverse group of people that we've just all like slotted into this one category. Yeah, one group. Yeah. yeah. Which is why like one thing that I notice like always gets to me is when people are like, oh yeah, I'm going to gay pride. I'm like, it's not just gay. Like I know that that's what it like started out as. I think the first, the very first um, pride was called like, it was called the gay pride week. And then it was Christopher street gay pride March. So it didn't have the word gay in there. Yeah. In New York city. Um, But I learned today and doing my research that it was actually 
the, those um, events in the March was actually organized by a bisexual activist. I was like, oh. interesting. That's not been very visible, but that's yeah. like quite important. Um, but yeah, sorry. I feel like I lost my train of thought. So just going <laughs> to stop and let you ask me a question because <laughs> I'm like, you can go in so many different directions. I have so much to say. Yeah, I love it. I'm here for it all. <laughs> You did mention a little bit um, one of the topics I wanted to talk about, and then we'll get into your story about uh, within yoga, how there's this kind of like weird paradox of being like loving everyone and then is still within the yoga community. Like I've even experienced this. I used to live in Connecticut very briefly for about two years and the, seeing the culture there of yoga studios versus like where I, when I lived in Miami Beach was like completely different um you had to have like the lululemon leggings and you had to have like your hair and makeup done like it was really weird it was like a completely different world and i can't even imagine in a space like connecticut is pretty liberal but it i think it is a red state but like where i lived was pretty pretty liberal and pretty open but I can't imagine someone walking in who's like trans and being like accepted within the spaces that I've experienced within yoga, because even like the person I was dating at the time was Hispanic. And even he got like, he did not have a good time in Connecticut. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like we had completely opposite experiences. I made all these friends and he had a hard time. Yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm not sure what my question is. I just kind of want to talk about this kind of like contradictory kind of like lesson that we are like in within yoga we are taught to be nonviolent. so ahimsa mm. is like the very first foundation of yoga yeah There's and I this... think what's what's mm. important to, to note about ahimsa is also that like nonviolence doesn't mean just like not doing violence yourself but it's also actively helping to protect others against violence which yeah. I think is what gets left yeah. out it's always like just translated as like oh do no harm but that's also kind of an easy way to just be like oh I'm not part of the problem I'm just gonna ignore mm -hmm. you know and not speak up for issues yeah. and not use my privilege to speak out and and protect uh, and help protect like, people who are being harmed I think that is like the like a big part of them yeah that's a missing piece yeah so true and then like so we have the non-harming and then we also have this kind of like the, the whole journey of yoga in my experience, at least with like my awakening that I had is it gets you to this kind of like perspective or this like viewpoint where you're like, huh, like this separation between me and like whoever's in front of me or like me and a cat or me and a beetle like is actually an illusion. Mm hmm. <laughs> You know, like we're all yeah. the exact same. And it's like almost comical to get an objective viewpoint of the human race and see all the little things that we bicker about, whether it's about uh, sexuality, identity, race, even like it's really <laughs> it's really frustrating <laughs> mm. when you like notice it and you're like, why are we like spending our time doing this? when we can like all be living harmoniously. Yeah. And just like, it's like, even from the, 
from the like inner world of the people spreading the hate, like they would even be happier if they can release that hate. You know, like when you're putting this bad energy, bad, I don't, I don't know what a better word to use for it, but like this contractive, sticky, judgmental. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're also like, that's also playing on in your head and all your like cells are listening to it. Yeah. It's a way of living. Like then you judging others also means you're going to judge yourself. Like typically the people who are very judgmental are people who are very judgmental of themselves. Yeah. Right. Like that's kind of you, you, we project things. And that was one of my big learnings in my healing journey was like this whole concept of not taking things personally, because most of the time, even if some, when someone treats you badly, even if they say things that are personally to you to hurt you, chances are it's still a reflection on them. That doesn't make it okay, but it just helps you be like, oh, I like let go of this idea of like, you did something wrong to deserve it. Like, no, you didn't. The yeah. fact that they're treating you that badly means that they are treating themselves really badly and they are mm-hmm. really struggling. Um, and for me, that like that helped me distance myself from it and also have some compassion and see like the like see that oneness still because sometimes you can be very like, oh, I'm nothing like that. But when you can have mm-hmm. that compassion and zoom out and be like, okay, they they are doing everyone is doing the best they can given the experiences that they've had. Mm -hmm. and judging and hatred and all these things are really sad things that humans do, but it's like a conditioning, right? And like the the brain, like the thoughts we have, the brain believes, like if you say you're having a bad day, well, you're going to look at all the reasons why it's bad. Um, And if you think certain people are bad, you're going to look for all the reasons why they're bad. Instead of seeing like we're all human and we all have ability to hurt people, but we also all have ability to, entertain and to love and to all these things and it's it's like a choice and um yeah I don't know like I just feel like that really that really helped me but I I see what you're getting at with with the whole philosophy of yoga like it definitely feels like in the translation from philosophy and in the move from of India from South Asia to the west Mm -hmm. it's just it's like which I guess is with everything that comes that falls into the capitalist <laughs> capitalist <laughs> process or system. It's like, it becomes, um, you know, it's like, it's like with pride too, that's become like rainbow washed. And like now all, if you look at all the logos, like, like June 1st, all logos now are rainbow. And it's like companies that are donating millions to anti-gay legislation. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's, it's just falling into that like consumerist trap of like, yeah, we're marketing all these things that are palatable, mm-hmm. but they're not necessarily really authentic and conscious. And there's not really like necessarily substance behind it. And yoga has become a, has become a trend and very, very white. Like mm-hmm. I, for the past many years, like, especially since starting my PR business, I kind of took a step back from yoga. Like I still was teaching, but I wasn't really posting much about yoga. I was very like, I don't want to take up space. And this is not in any way for me to be like, Oh my God, poor me. Like I'm not, no, not poor me. It was just more of like Mm -hmm. an awareness of like, I don't want to, like there are so many white yoga teachers. I don't, I don't need to Mm -hmm. take up space. And I'm not in a place right now where yoga is my main source of income. So I don't need to take up space. Um, Mm -hmm. Whereas now I think I'm more, 
it is something that I'm, I'm feeling called to, to grow more and do more with. And so it's just having that, like having that awareness, but it is, it is incredibly white and it's kind of scary how white it is and thinking about how, you know, when you take a, I don't know what your yoga teacher training was like, but a lot of them are, you know, often also all white people and they don't bring anyone in from South Asia. And it's like, this is Mm. where it comes from. Like it has to be there. Yeah. And also the the yoga Alliance, which is this, Mm. (laughs) you know, this like meant to be a regulation piece of in within the industry. But I've spoken to my yoga studio here in Lisbon and they wanted to do a yoga teacher training, but they were active. Like they actively decided not to, to certify it through yoga lines. Cause they're like, it's just the money. It's just a money making yeah. business in the, in the West. It's like, why should this organization in the U S decide the caliber of a yoga teacher training? And it's very new as well. Yeah. I've also never been asked for my like proof that I paid for my, for my, um, yoga Alliance, like membership when I've taught at yoga studios, I've never had Mm. someone ask me for that, for like whatever, like member number or whatever it is that they give you. I don't even remember. Mm. I stopped paying for that a while ago. Yeah. Yeah. I don't pay for any of those things either. Um, (laughs) It's like, I guess it's like similar to the coaching industry that there's not like the same like regulation. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think it's just something to be aware of and we can do our part in, in trying to actively find and diversify our, our teachers, but also at the same time, you will, you know, like you also go whatever studio you're going to, you, you know, as a student, Mm -hmm. maybe it's, it's not as easy for you to necessarily seek that out if the studio isn't actively curating that. And I think it's just, it's an ongoing, like, I don't know what the answer is. And Mm. we as individuals need to do our best, but I'm also, I mean, I feel like I'm sitting here taking up space as a, Mm -hmm. another white yoga teacher. Right. But I think it's, it's just, it's like, it starts with awareness. And one of my clients, actually, I feel like she does this really well. She's a, she's a yoga teacher. We met on a yoga teacher training and then she worked with me, um, for PR and she's very good at like in all of the, whenever I'd send her a PR opportunity or whatever, she'd always be really good at being like, actually, I know another yoga teacher who'd be better suited for this. And she would always pass the mic and, and really be like, you know, really, but I, what we also worked on was like her really owning like her kind of piece within it because she was also kind of like, I don't want to take up space. And I'm like, you don't have to. But I think the very fact mm. that you are so conscious is why you should take up um. space because you will address these things and you will, in, you know, include other elements in the conversation instead of just straight up being like, yeah, these are yoga poses that you can do for the stress or to sleep. You know, she or her conversation is mm. what she's brought into the conversation is more about like how, how we in the West portray yoga and how much it alienates people from the practice because we see contortionists doing yeah. these like splits on Instagram or people doing handstands. And then of course, if you've never done yoga before, you're new to it. You're like, Oh, it's clearly not for me because I'm not mm-hmm. thin, white, able-bodied and I can't do that. Mm-hmm. And like, that's a big piece of her, her like messaging is around like yoga is for everyone. It is designed for everyone. And if you really honor the roots of yoga, it is for everyone. Mm-hmm. and and like yeah and using using her platform to speak out against those things so she's kind of gone viral talking about 
stomach taming stomach, what was it? It was like stomach taming yoga pants that like some brand promoted and she's like your stomach doesn't need taming <laughs> it's like not like what like <laughs> it's just like so ridiculous like some of these some of these things and that's where I'm like okay that you know that is I see her really embodying that like social justice piece of mm-hmm. of yoga philosophy that stomach yeah. taming thing like also kind of feeds into like the whole male gaze topic. <laughs> yeah. And just diet culture, you know, yeah. because of course anything in the West gets sifted through this filter of like yeah. diet culture, like, Oh, do yoga. Cause it's going to make you lose weight and be thin yeah. and beautiful and fit this body ideal that we're going to change and, and mm-hmm. year. So you're never going to meet it. <laughs> it's ever changing. I just looked at the time. We need to get into your story. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a this call so, right after this? No, no, I don't. I okay. don't. I'm, uh, I'm good. This is so okay. typical us. It's going to be like part one. <laughs> part two is going to be where the story is. Like really bury the lead. People listening will be like, I didn't sign up for this yoga conversation. But, you know, <laughs> this is just what you get with us. <laughs> yeah. I, I was also curious too, like what was, what was your experience going to yoga classes as you were like questioning your own identity or as you were starting to? kind of really like accept who you really are and stuff well I mean yoga has actually really helped me with Mm. my journey I've heard that a lot in these episodes I love that yeah yeah um and and is you know I I came out to myself on my first yoga teacher training Mm. so so for me I think I've had a very positive experience with it but it is true that like I haven't met many other queer or at least out queer people in in my yoga communities like are in like the yoga teaching space mm-hmm. um but it was kind of where I I don't know I mean I, I guess I haven't really thought about it much like I think because yoga has been a part of my life for so long I feel so at home there but I think that's that's also because of my privilege like it would be mm. different if I if I identified in a different way, if I looked different, if I you know, was a, of a different race or whatever, you know, it's like that. I think that's just really speaking from privilege. So I don't even yeah. want to take up time talking about it because I've okay. just been, um, okay. Yeah. I mean, it has been obviously nice if I did meet another queer yoga teacher, but it's not really, didn't ever really find that it was something we talked about, but at the same time, I also didn't feel like it was an issue in any way mm-hmm. in my experience anyway. Mm-hmm. And then when you teach, do you ever like bring up that you're in partnership with a woman? Like it's never, I've never brought, I actually was thinking about this. I'm teaching tomorrow and I thought about it. I'm like, do I want to mention something about pride? I was like, mm-hmm. how do I even bring that in? Yeah. Um, because I'm very, I mean, I'm open about it. And so mm-hmm. whenever I'm chatting, because the community I'm part of now is, is, is a really beautiful, warm, friendly environment. So I'm always talking to students and stuff. And they, like, whenever I talk about it, like, I'll mention Raquel in conversation and stuff. So uh, I don't feel like that's an issue. But, you know, this is another piece, too, is, like, it's also, it's not that it, I feel like like it's going to cause any issues or something. It's just, it is sometimes also annoying to come out <laughs> all the time, you know. Mm-hmm. And I, I do sometimes kind of just choose not to. Like, you know, it can just yeah. be, like, partner, blah, blah, blah. If it's just, like, one sentence and we're not really going to get into Mm-hmm. into it but then sometimes 
I'll then, if we then end up talking about it for a little bit longer, then they'll be like, oh, like, what does he do? And you're like, no, she, it's like, it's kind of just something as a, yeah, like that, that's something I never really realized. It's like, you think, oh, the, the coming out is like this big, you know, mm. do the thing and then yeah. you're done. And it's like actually coming out is like a lifelong. Yeah. And in certain situations you choose to do it. And it's, it's not necessarily even that you choose not to do it because you, because there's a danger, but because, I mean, again, speaking from a very privileged position, but mm-hmm. sometimes you just can't like really be bothered to deal with the reaction of like, oh, oh you know, oh, like that, mm-hmm. like realization that someone's yeah. had, someone has, and that you have to like hold space for that. Sometimes you're just like, I just don't, mm-hmm. you know, but then other times you, you know, I noticed, I noticed I do just kind of, I want to just get it out of the way right away. Um, mm-hmm. But it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it always plays a part, like something I think about sometimes that I've, I, or I, I, it's something I've been thinking about recently. So that's why I'm bringing it up is, you know, because I've been living st- straight, I guess, for so long and had female friends and whatever, since I guess something I thought about recently, like since coming out, like now that I'm out and then have like female friendships and stuff. I don't notice that there's anything strange or anything different, but sometimes in the back of my head, I think it's just like my anxiety will be like, are they going to be uncomfortable talking about certain things? Are they going to be uncomfortable? You know, like that, that's an anxiety that comes up sometimes. Yeah. Um, or like going know, you, certain places, like me and my girlfriends like to go <clears throat> to Korean spas where you're like naked in front of, in uh, front of each other. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Can... It's like, it's not a really... Cause it shouldn't, it shouldn't be an issue. And also yeah. like what I said with, it's very, it's a very patriarchal thing. This whole like objectifying women, you know, like, mm-hmm. I think that's what I found like the attraction to women is, is so, I don't know. It's like, it's, it's like, it's not the way that I'm like, you know, a stereotypical mm-hmm. man would explain his attraction because yeah. it's not this, like, it's not, it's like, there's just so much nuance it's to it. It's not based on. So, yeah, it's not based on like surface level. Yeah, these surface like, level, yeah. like these tick these boxes. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't know, I think I saw a meme the other day that was something along the lines of like someone saying that they're attracted to this one specific thing. And then um, lesbians being like, well, I like all women and everything about them is just so amazing. And that's, <laughs> that's really true that it's like, you can just be like, like, that's what I find is you should be like amazed by like all of these little subtle things. And like, you just, you know, I find it, I find that my attraction to women is like so much more diverse. Like, it's like, I can mm. see beauty in like all women. And that doesn't mean I'm like objectifying yeah. women. It's a, it's like, it, it's a very, I don't know. It feels like a very beautiful thing to be able to see people that way. And I guess like attraction to other genders is, is similar. It's just like really, and maybe that's a very bisexual thing. I don't know, but it's just like really seeing, seeing beauty and differences mm-hmm. and seeing beauty in every, yeah in everyone. Um, yeah. yeah. I definitely relate to that too. Cause like, if you put, if you put everyone I've ever dated, like in a line, like they, there's no like type that mm. I have, like everyone looks different because I, I, yeah, I definitely relate to that seeing beauty yeah. and like all the little differences that all humans have yeah. in my experience. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like what makes someone attractive is not just like, Oh, like they have these specific features, you know, yeah, like that's no, a conditioning, of, you know? Yeah. Yeah. For me, it's more of like a behavior 
thing. Like yeah. yesterday I was watching a YouTube video and it was someone who's like within our age group, like millennial. And he was talking about something that Gen Zers talk about on TikTok called X, which are basically oh, yeah. like turnoffs. And I was yesterday years old when I found out what an ick was. <laughs> There's <laughs> a great, I can recommend, I can recommend another podcast about it. It's like one of my favorites. It's not, it's not a queer where anything, it's not, it's just a, it's two journalists, but they were talking about the ick like the very extensively yeah yeah okay yeah you've told yeah. me about that podcast yeah <laughs> I clearly like I'm like they're my friends <laughs> like one day I'll be on the podcast I don't know what to talk about but yeah I just really yeah I really like them but they were just talking about the ick um and it was because they were talking about girls remember that's that show with Lena Dunham and I recently rewatched it because they were talking about it and they were just mentioning how I don't know if you've ever seen it but um no. in the first few episodes one of the main characters she like kind of gets like gets annoyed with her boyfriend and they're kind of saying like she was that was like the ick before it became a term she had the ick with charlie like it was just like everything he did just was like a turn off it's like random things like you know he's not actually doing anything wrong it's a pro- reflection on her just getting to a point where she's just like not interested in him anymore and it was just really funny re-watching that with that in mind i'm like yeah that is that's true <laughs> but what i've also noticed is that like the whole thing about the ick a lot of people have also said that like, it's, it's maybe something that's worth kind of like reflecting on, like, okay, are you just, is this actually the ick or like, are you just looking for excuses to not commit and not get intimate and not get vulnerable? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I've seen something about like psychologists talking about it, saying it's like a fearful avoidant attachment style or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds about right. That makes a lot of sense because (laughs) they're, they're using like things like if he wears bell-bottom jeans, that's a no for me. And it's like, really? But like, what does that, like, what does that mean about who he is as a person? Yeah. Because he's wearing bell-bottom jeans. Like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. You're lost, it's I like, guess. Yeah. It's so funny. It's like the way he puts his, like, puts one strap of a backpack on the, on his shoulder. Yeah. Like, Ick. it's like, that's yeah. not, like, if you were actually in love with this person, like, you wouldn't that wouldn't exactly. be a deal yeah. breaker you know it's not like an actual deal breaker yeah so, yeah that's funny. very a very conditional way to love yeah um let's get into your story okay let's do it. how much how much time do you have I want to honor your time I can I can go over okay yeah okay. I don't have anything after this cool yeah I don't have anything until like 1 p.m and it's like Oh, 10 a.m. here. <laughs> so okay. this is like my first thing of the day. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I get to start the day with you. Um, cool. I'm like, where do I start? Because this is the thing with the coming out story. It's like I can start it when I started, you know, realizing it. And then inevitably afterwards, I've then started looking, kind of reassessing my whole life and looking mm-hmm. for all the clues. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, it really started with me going on that yoga teacher training. So it was uh, five years ago, I, in 2017, I was laid off from my job for whatever reason. My intuition was like, don't take any of these offers where I could go in and do the same thing somewhere else. And I didn't, you know, I, yeah, I wanted to travel and go on a yoga retreat. That's what I really wanted to do. But I being very conditioned was like, I can't have a gap in my CV because then Mm. I'm not going to get a job when I get back, blah, blah, blah. So I was like, I'll do a yoga teacher training. I felt like I could justify that. And then I looked for one abroad and I was scrolling through. I found this one school yoga institute that has like tons of trainings all over the world. And I saw a picture of this 
woman sitting on a dock on the Lake of Titlan in Guatemala. And I was like, I want to go there. I want to sit there. <laughs> and it was, you know, and I, I remember then briefly being like, oh, wait, am I even, do I even, am I even qualified enough? Like, do I have enough experience? Blah, blah, blah. And I sent them a very vulnerable email with all of my concerns. And they just wrote back so compassionately. Like it was so raw and real and authentic. And I just felt so held by it. I was like, I'm going to be, I'm going to be safe here. Like I felt like I could bring my whole self there. Oh, I love that. So I um, remember it was like November 4th. So it was freezing. I had packed up all my stuff because I'd rented out my room. So I packed up all my stuff and just had this like um, backpacker backpack and my new yoga pants that I bought and and my like old trainers and like a little cardigan because I was like, I'm going to Central America. I'm not going to bring a jacket. And I was like standing at like 4 a.m. waiting for the bus and like dark rain in London. And I was like, what the fuck am I doing? <laughs> I was like, oh my God. Um, so then I flew to Guatemala, uh, landed in Antigua. And then there I met, um, like I threw the, um, like the Facebook group that they created for us. I connected with, with a couple of girls who were also going. So we met in Antigua so we could travel together um, nice. to so share, like to take the shuttle together and, and then like That's split fun. a boat. because so You have to like take the boat across to, to where the mystical yoga farm is. So <laughs> anyway, I feel like I'm, I'm detailing this way too much. I can go way too, it's like three weeks. So there was a lot, there's a lot to share. So anyway, long story short, it got there um, and it was a very, you know, it was this permaculture farm. There was no data, no wifi. So I was like not on my phone and it was really immersive. You know, we were waking up at 5.30 in the morning. Someone's job was to run with the chimes in the morning. And then we'd go down and meditate on the docks for half an hour. And then we'd go get ready for yoga and we'd have a two hour yoga practice. And then we'd have breakfast and then a spiritual lesson, which was always like this kind of discussion Mm-hmm. where we talked about like spiritual lessons and, and the philosophy and stuff like that. And then we'd have lunch and then in the afternoon it would be um, more like the physical asana practice, like adjustments and alignment and practice teaching and stuff like that. And then dinner in the evening and then usually some kind of satsang in the evening. So like a fire ceremony or like maybe we tried some yin yoga or um, did a shamanic journey. Like they kind of, we were exposed to like all these different things like sound healing um, because the way that they had formatted the yoga teacher training was around the Peruvian medicine wheel. So there was also a lot of shamanism woven into it, which I think mm-hmm. was just really poignant. Cause I think for me, I mean, as so many people talk about in the yoga teacher training, it really is much less about becoming a teacher. I mean, I just wanted to deepen my yoga practice. It really is this profound yeah. personal transformation. Oh, I um, so agree. So yeah, agree. <laughs> it's like I, anyone who asks me, I'm like, do it. If you feel yeah. called to do it, do it. Like, yeah. Even if you never teach, you're going to have, I mean, obviously like assuming that the teachers and everything is good, but I think just the yoga practice in and of itself, like really committing to it and really going deep with it. It's just transformational, yeah. especially and, in a space where like you can't escape and they're like waking you up at five. Mm-hmm. Like you have no excuse, but to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Like you're fully, like we barely had any it was really just like in the lunch break and then maybe the break after, you know, like after, like there was really didn't have much time that was free time. Mm-hmm. So you're really like fully in it, but all the practices you're doing are very much about being present. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you really are like thrown in at the deep end. And I, I, I think it really benefited from that. And, and as a result, there was a lot of like introspection. Obviously I was doing a lot of journaling um, and and what was so refreshing was also like 
you know, I have kind of a, like, typically when I talk to people, I like end up talking about how I'm Danish, I've lived abroad, like all these titles, like I was head of PR, like all these like status, like kind of markers that like, you know, would position you a certain way when you're engaging with someone. And there it was very much like, like people didn't even know I was Danish until like two weeks in or something. Cause you were just fully, we were just fully meeting each other there. Like, hi, I'm Maria this is your name. And we're just, mm-hmm. it was the first, I think it was the first time that I was like social and was with all these people. And I was not leaning on any parts of my past or my status or like career or anything to like connect with people. It was purely just connecting on like being present and just mm-hmm. being yourself. And I think that was just so incredibly healing to be seen and appreciated and like loved in that place. And I think that was what was so beautiful in the teacher trainers did such a beautiful job of really holding space for that. Like it felt such a profound connection to everyone, you know, and we also did mm-hmm. like all these exercises and, and everyone was really like open and all this stuff. Anyway. So um, there was one girl there who was sharing very openly about her attraction to women, her experience dating women in these like spiritual lessons. And I was very intrigued by her and I found myself journaling about her a lot. And I was like, Mm. what is it? Why am I so drawn to her? Is it because I'm like jealous? Like, is it because I'm intrigued? And then I was like, I feel like there's this kind of like attraction. And then I was like, is it because there aren't really any men here? And Mm. I'm, you know, like just distract, looking for a distraction. Like I really had all this time to just really process everything. Mm -hmm. And I basically realized after like, like two weeks, cause that's the other thing. It was only a three week experience, but it was so immersive mm-hmm. that it was, you know, mm-hmm. a lot happened in a short amount of time. But I realized after two weeks, I was like, I'm in love with her. Like, uh, like my heart was so open. Like there was no conditioning, none of these like fears and barriers. It was just, it was the purest experience of love I'd, I'd ever had. And it was so like, I was like holding space for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, And like, there was no, like, what was also interesting was I wasn't, I didn't begin to be like, what does this mean? What, what do I, what's Mm -hmm. my label? Like, I didn't go down all those paths. It was purely, I could just be present with that experience of like, that is what this is. Yeah. And that's just what it is. It does. I don't have to write a story about it or like make it mean anything else. That's just what it is. And that was just really like profound and you know, we did spend some time together, but she went back to the farm. Like we only spent a couple of days together, like after the, um, after the training. And then I went um, solo traveling by myself. And I remember really like wanting to just continue being alone. Like I didn't, you know, when you travel, it's very easy. It's like almost hard not to meet people, but I was mm-hmm. actively like going away from it. Cause I just really wanted to like get to, to really connect to this, to this part of myself. And it was interesting too, because I, I shared everything with the, everyone I, or the three women I shared, there are two other women that I shared my cabin with. Mm-hmm. And, um, so you talked about this like realization that you had. So mm-hmm. I didn't tell them when we were on the, on the farm together, but when I, I remember I was in Veracruz, I think. Um, yeah. And I'd gone for a walk and I was sitting by the water and then I decided to like send them a voice message. We had a little group chat where we were like staying in touch Mm-hmm. And I shared with them, I was like, so there's this thing, I fell in love with her, blah, blah, blah. And they were like, what? How could you not tell us? Like you told us everything, but it was such a beautiful, supportive 
reaction as well. It was like, oh my God, Maria, your heart is so open, you know, because that's something we had talked about that like, that was really the profound experience of just removing all the conditioning and all these layers and all this fear to just really feel how much like just basically an untapped source of love we are when we are connected to that oneness, you know, which is really the profound experience, I think. Mm-hmm. And that was just such a beautiful and really supportive way to, you know, for them to respond. They weren't like, Oh, so are you a lesbian now? So are you this? It was just like, wow, Maria, your heart is so open and that's so beautiful. And the only thing was like, why didn't you tell us like sooner, you know, so we could talk more about it. And yeah, I mean, the reason why I also like, I knew that it was, I, I don't know. I, I don't really know how else to say it that other than I just felt so sure of it. And there was, there wasn't really any fear around mm-hmm. it, at least while I was traveling. And I was like, mm-hmm. you know, I know had she invited me to like, I think she had wanted to go solo traveling in, in South America or whatever. If she had asked me, I was like, I was ready to literally just abandon my life, <laughs> go with her. I did not like, I didn't care. Yeah. Like, that's how like yeah. just open it was. Um, and so I think it was really important that I had that time. And then I met up with my family in Florida and we had, well, they flew into Florida and we had like Christmas there. And I told my sister because we Mm -hmm. were very close and she was just really like excited and just shared the story with her. And I kind of just realized coming back, I was like, okay, I just, I know I want to try dating women. Um, came back to London. It was kind of a shock coming back to London after this profound <laughs> spiritual experience, like integrating. Um, but I knew I wanted to date women. I think it took me like a month before I kind of created, I think I created an account on this. There's this app called Her for queer uh, women and non-binary people. Um, and it was really refreshing to be on there. It was like every, everyone could like label, label themselves. I didn't put a label because I knew the tropes around bisexuality. And so I was like, I don't want my big fear was that someone was going to be like, Oh, you're just, you're just by curious and you're just going to explore and whatever. Cause I had a friend in, in college um, who I don't actually know how she identifies, but she had that experience with one of her friends. Like she was very in love with one of her friends. They would get together and then her friend would run back to her boyfriend. So I was like very aware of that. I was like, I don't want to do that. But at the same time, I'm like, I also like need to date and explore and you know, whatever. Um, and then, yeah, I just was like talking to, to women on there. And then actually the very first person I went on a date with was with Raquel, like official date with a woman. Um, and she, you know, we got on really well and, um, we just kind of kept talking, went on one other date with one other, other, um, girl that like same week. Um, and I still remember the first date with Raquel was so funny. (laughs) <laughs> she, I, I like, we were mo- meant to meet Sunday and I had like gotten on the list of this gig Saturday night. So I was like, Hey, do you, you know, how spontaneous are you? And she's like, when and where? And it turns <laughs> out that's like, turns out that's like the most spontaneous thing she's ever done. <laughs> so funny. She was just at her friend's place having wine. So that's why she had the, the, the liquid courage. But, um, so we like, yeah, we went to a gig the first night and yeah, we, we, you know, we like went to Budapest on our second date because she had tickets and she was like, I'm going by myself. Do you want to come? I was like, yeah, okay. Um, but anyway, um, I won't go into like the whole meet cute of us, but how long have you been together now? Um, it's four and a half years. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. 
Um, but I think what was so profound about the experience too, was that I, I really, you know, not wanting it to be like my experience with men when I was younger, I was very like present and really like, I'm not going to do anything if I feel she wants to. So like hearing her side of the story is very funny because she's like, you didn't touch me. And I was like trying to give you all the signals, but you like didn't react. (laughs) But I think it was because I was very like, you know, used to reading the signals of someone else and giving them like, oh, I can can tell he wants to kiss me right now. So I'm going to, you know, I was like, no, no, no. I want to fully really listen to my body's signals and really be present with this experience. And so when we, when we finally did have our first kissing after like two weeks, um, it was like, you know, super electric and like the most amazing thing. And I was like, aren't you glad you waited? You know, but that was like the, the joke. And, and she had also been quite confused. But when I explained to her the why she was like, Oh, okay, I get it. But I was kind of scared, you know, because I knew from her profile that she identified as a lesbian. So I was scared that she was not going to take me seriously if I, if I told her that, but I did tell her after two weeks. And then she was like, Oh, well, I just thought you weren't into me, but now I understand. Like this makes so much sense. Um, yeah. So then yeah, we started dating. I, I told my sister, I told some friends. Um, and I think it was a kind of easier to come out having a girlfriend. Cause I could just be like, I have a girlfriend instead of saying I am, mm. I now identify as whatever. Yeah. Um, which I think, yeah, like that does make it easier. Um, so I like went to Denmark and had planned to meet my, to tell my, my dad and my family, but I just, I don't know. It was scary, even though I had no, I didn't think that they, that there was no reason for me to believe that they would not accept me, but it was just still very, very vulnerable. And so I think I told, yeah, I'd like told my sister and then I'd gone out for lunch with her and the cousin. And, and then my cousin was like, oh, are you seeing anyone? And then it turns out like my sister kind of told her and was like wanting me to tell her, but she was very respectful about it. And I told her and she's very excited. Um, so it took me, but it took me probably six months from like starting, starting to date Raquel to telling my dad. Um, because yeah, my mom, my mom passed away 11 years ago, but my, so I was with my dad and my sister, we went out for dinner mm-hmm. and my sister knew that that was the dinner I was going to tell him. Mm-hmm. And we went to this place that had like, you know, multiple courses. And so I remember it was like, first we had the wine, it's like we had a liquid courage. And then the first <laughs> meal, then the first, you know, appetizer came and I was like, okay, I'm just gonna like arrive. And then that was taken away. My sister's like looking at me like, <laughs> I'm like I need to pee and like, you know, like all I was like oh my god I like did not it's funny it. how the like anticipation makes oh. something like that like any difficult conversation feel worse yeah it was oh, <laughs> like it the was longer so you wait the harder it is yeah yeah it's like you should just rip off the band-aid but it was just yeah and um but I, I mean but it was nice to have her there and have her I like bet. support mm-hmm. um but I, I remember I just because I'm Danish um you use the, you use a term, I guess it's equivalent to like partner. So it's not gendered. Mm-hmm. So I just said, okay, I have something to share. I have a partner, you know, mm-hmm. I have a new partner. And, and then I just said, her name is Raquel. And my dad without skipping the beat was like, Oh, where's she from? Like he was so smooth. I was like really 
really, really pleasantly surprised. Like I didn't think he would, there would be anything negative, but I didn't know he would be so, you know, yeah. supportive right away or so like um, engaging right away. Um, and I was like, yeah, she's Spanish, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it was kind of like, that was kind of it. There was no, nothing really. And then we, I felt that like, okay, it could have easily just carried on talked about something else. Like I've done it, mm-hmm. but I remember wanting to be like, no, okay. I really want to also honor my dad and thank him for being supportive. Yeah. And yeah. so I was just, I, I paused and I said that I was like, Hey, you know, I just want to say like, I really appreciate you being so like open and warm and, you know, it was scary to, to say this and whatever. And he was just like, well, I guess, you know. I get it. You, you know, you have, you've had male partners in the past and and now you're dating a woman and you just, you just, you know, you just love people. And I was like, that's so cute. <laughs> I was like, that's so sweet. I was like, that's such a beautiful explanation of my, of my sexuality, dad. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, I have yeah. tears in my eyes. <laughs> yeah. It was really, it was really sweet. Um, and then he was just like, but then he was very concerned with like, okay, but can I, can I tell people like, do you want to tell people yourself? I'm like, no, no, no. Like you, like my sister and my dad, like you were the people I wanted to, I wanted to say it. I don't really want to have to come out to everyone else. So I was like, feel free to spread the word, mm-hmm. um, which was, you know, kind of like nice. To do it. Okay. Like to do yeah. it for you. Okay. Yeah. Or just, yeah. To just mention like, oh, she has a new partner. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I didn't really want to, I didn't really feel like I had to actively come out to everyone else. Yeah. Um, cause I think that's also like a lot. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's also different for everyone, but, um, those were the people I really wanted to come out to personally. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, Raquel was also so supportive about the whole process. Like she was very like, don't feel like you have to just because you're dating me or like, you know, when I was mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm going to do it. And I was just like, if you're not ready, like it's, yeah. it's a process, you know? And I think because I had this feeling of like, oh, it's so like, I'm, I'm already like, I was 27, you know, I felt like I came out so late. Mm. I had a lot of like shame around that and like wanting to make up for lost time. And she's like, it takes some people years before they've even accepted yeah. themselves yeah. and stuff, you know, like, she's yeah. like, you did it really fast. You were like, okay, I'm going to come out to myself. Okay. I'm going to start dating women. Okay. I got a girlfriend. Okay. Now I'm going to come out. Like it was like, boom, 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 like very fast. Um, but what was really nice with my family was um, they didn't need to, but they, a lot of them individually reached out to me and were just like, Hey, you know, Aww. I hear you have a new partner. That's so great. I'm so happy for you. We look forward to meeting her. And it was just like, really, like I was Aww. really kind That's of, nice. yeah, I was struck by how, how warm and how they really went out of their way to make sure that they, that I knew I was accepted and I was loved and that um, my partner was welcome. And, and she really has been like adopted into the family, which has been really, really nice. Um, so again, like I didn't expect anything bad, um, but it like overwhelmed me how positive they were, which was just like, you know, again, it's also privileged, but it was also just really nice. Mm-hmm. That's so amazing how they went, how your family members went out of their way to call you. I think mm. that's a very, that's a that's a good step to take I think because like trying to like imagine how hard it was for you to come out to your dad and your sister mm. it's it's almost like they recognize that and they're like let's reach out to her I want I want her to give support I want to give her yeah. support because maybe she's feeling like I'm going to judge her so yeah, yeah I love it was that. really sweet it was really <laughs> sweet like even um I have this like kind of bonus set of grandparents they're not like not biological but like they're just we've had them, known them my whole life so they are like my 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 grandparents and 
um, that grandma, she, I remember we were talking and she was very like, she was almost like upset that I hadn't told her because she was like, Oh my God, I could, I can imagine it would have been so hard for you. And you were Aww. all alone with it and you didn't tell me. And, and then she was very sweet, but she was like, you know, when we, they, they fled from Hungary. Um, and she's like, so they lived in Copenhagen when they were younger. They moved there when they were like 20, I think. Um, and they, they were like, you know, we, we used to have a lot of gay friends when we lived in Copenhagen, you know, it was just like really, it was just really sweet. It was just like, you know, just like in her eighties now. And it was just, that was also very, like very sweet. So yeah. It's it interesting to see how some parts of Europe are definitely more open. Like my family comes from Germany. Most of my family is from there. Mm. Yeah. They're more open than here in America. But uh, what you've said too about coming out too late. Mm. it's interesting because yeah people come out way later I have a family member who came out in her 70s mm. oh, that's <laughs> cool that's cool <laughs> yeah we were like wow cool and also a lot of things make sense now <laughs> yeah well that's the thing like that's the other piece which you know I'm not we won't probably won't have time to get into but it's like there are so many I look back on my life and I'm like and that was a clue and that was a clue. And like, then I also realized all the moments when like, you know, I also remember dating in my early twenties, like on OkCupid, putting my thing to bisexual and sometimes doing that with Tinder, but like, it's like, I never acted on it. And that was something that like in this book about like written by the bisexual writer, they, they talk a lot about that as well. Um, like not like having this queer, like kind of impulse or like, you know, like knowing it's there, but then not like repressing it and not really acting on it. And I think also a big thing that was so confusing for me is just, again, talking about representation, but like the only women you see um, like having any kind of romantic relationship, it was either like a butch lesbian, which it's not how I identify or it's not like, it's not what I look like. Or it was like, you know, an American pie and there's like straight girls making out because the, you know, Mm -hmm. for the male gaze, because it's like, you know, so it's almost like, it's not, like the attraction between women is almost like not taken seriously. Yeah. And so I think that was a big oh, thing. Oh, she's that just I, experimenting. Yeah. You know? She's like, going through and, a phase. <laughs> yeah. She's going through a phase and like, it's not a, you know, and I think that's why I also really was dismissive of it within myself. I was like, well, mm, and also, okay. you know, it's a lot easier to just function as straight. Right. Like, and I could, cause I'm like, well, I was, I'm attracted to men. So I could just, Mm-hmm. do that that would make my life like easier but it's not you know it's not fully me mm-hmm. um, like I didn't realize how much that was impacting my my self-expression and my sense of true belonging and connection to people until I was out you know like it affects because it is you know like that's why when people talk about um you know when they're like oh it doesn't really matter and like you know who cares and whatever like with bisexuality that's something I feel like people say a lot like you know it's like it doesn't really matter but I'm like but it it also does like it it doesn't matter in the sense that like it shouldn't be an issue but also it is a real identity and it's interesting that it it features so prominently in the acronym and yet Mm. it's so like yeah you know not really not really considered because it is like it is a different experience than if you are um you know a lesbian versus being, you know, being trans or being a gay man, or, you know, it, it is a different, it's a unique identity. And um, the joke apparently, which I've learned recently in the bisexual community on TikTok and stuff is like all these random things becoming bi-culture, like, oh yeah, cuff jeans, bi-culture. And it's like, it's almost because like, we're so desperate for their like 
to be a culture around us. So they were just like, well, like just adopt the things, <laughs> <laughs> layered necklaces. Oh, by culture. Like, because there isn't any, there aren't like these same, you know, cultural things. There's just like, oh yeah, you're, you're a slut. You're, you know, you're not to be trusted. You're like, those are like these kind of negative yeah. tropes around us. And it's like, just because I am not, like my attraction to people isn't limited by gender. doesn't mean I, want to sleep with everyone the same way that like if you're attracted to just one gender that doesn't mean you want to sleep with all the people like all men (laughs) yeah like it's such a ridiculous concept um which is why I think it's just like very misunderstood so I feel like I could talk about this for Mm -hmm. for a long time and I'm also still like just learning so Mm -hmm. much um yeah I think I've (laughs) with (laughs) spoken enough (laughs) With the, lear- with the learning piece too, and like how you're still learning and how you mentioned that you had, you have this like extra set of grandparents where the grandmother was like, you were alone with this. And, you know, we had, we had a lot of gay friends. I think those two things with like learning and discovering that they had friends within the community. I think there's also an aspect or maybe like a responsibility of parental figures to have more conversations about these are all the types of humans that there are and like you might identify with one of these or like this is uh these are these are the ways that you can like a prince can love a prince a prince Mm -hmm. can love princes and princesses a prince can decide he's not a boy or he's he's also not a girl or they Mm -hmm. are also not a girl and I think that would be the next step that we can get to as a society of like parents. Um, I think, I think that's definitely probably happening with most of Gen Z and even within millennials, but I don't know, I can only speak for, for myself and the people that I know living here in Los Angeles, which is like super liberal Mm. that like, I know that when my husband and I have kids, like we're definitely going to be open and talking to them about all the different types of identities and all of that. Cause I think that's important to know instead of well, just, yeah, cause it's, you don't mm-hmm. like, and that's the thing that I think maybe some people don't realize about representation not just like bang on about it, but it's yeah. sometimes you don't know wh- how you identify until you see it because yeah. you don't think it's an option. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like, you know, if you're like, I had that experience with like a friend who was like, thought they were a lesbian and then realized they're actually trans, but it wasn't until they met other trans people and saw them represented that they realized that. So it's like, you have to like, you know, like that's, you need to know what the options are the same way. Like, you know, like, I mean, when we decide what we want to do with our lives and all these things, like we don't know something's possible until someone shows us that it's possible. Mm -hmm. And then you feel like, Oh, that's what that's, that feels like something for me, you know? And it's such an innate thing, but like, like we're, we're so conditioned by society and the way it it, it teaches us to behave and stuff. And so we have to, Mm -hmm. we have to see these things modeled, which is why LGBT, you know, education in schools is so important and why like the don't say Mm -hmm. gay bill and all these things are so dangerous because yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's not, it's not, it's like, I don't know. I feel like I get the impression that conservatives are like, Oh, you're going to condition people to be gay. And it's like, no, you're Mm -hmm. literally just going to be like, look, so some families look like this, 
Some yeah. families have two dads, some families have two moms, you know, the, mm-hmm. that's LGBT education. And it's not exactly. just like in sex ed, it's also like in math problems, instead of it always being heteronormative, including it there just to like normalize it, you know? Yeah. 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 So that kids don't carry around the same hate and judgmentalness. And honestly, it all goes down to fear. They don't carry around that same fear that these older generations, like they're also just like a victim of their own conditioning. Because I, what I, I mean, what I always go back to, or like, I just don't understand is like, why do you care? Like, why do you care Exactly. Who I date, how I dress. Like it's, exactly. it's such a, it's it, especially because like, uh huh. Especially because like as a straight person, I don't have to go around being like, I love men. I love men to everyone. And like, this is what I like to do in the bedroom, by the way, just so that you know. And, and yeah. if you, if you agree with that, then we can be friends. Right. <laughs> you know, like it's so, but if you're, so but if you don't follow that, what you called, did you say it was compulsory? I wrote it down. Compulsory, compulsory heterosexuality. heterosexuality compulsory heterosexuality like if i think you, you can say compet as like a short like the same way you would say cishet men it's a lot of sil- it's a lot of syllables <laughs> yeah compet um i think it's like coined in the 80s something like that by a, okay yeah by a feminist writer i think yeah if you follow if you're if you fall within that like you're fine to go through life but if you don't And, you know, that's also the answer to because you're not the first person that's told me like how annoying it is that like you basically have to come out every single day of your life to every single person you meet. And the the answer to stopping that is to educate people that like these are all the types of families that exist. These are all the types of identities that exist so that we stop walking around making assumptions about people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And even even all the time. Mm-hmm. Even within like gender, like I've told, I've told my husband before, I'm like, you know, when we get pregnant, I don't want to tell my family, our family, like what gender our baby is, because if our baby is a girl, they're going to be buying her all this pink stuff and like all this like gir- quote girl stuff and like same mm. for a boy. So like I told him, I'm like, I don't want to find out the gender now. Now I kind of do. Um, but I don't want to reveal it to people because I want them to get me like things that are like neutral colors that like anyone mm. can wear that isn't like pushing a certain standard or this is how you have to be on our kids. <laughs> yeah. 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 Cause it starts, it's, you know, like, pe- like kids pick up so much, you know, like it baffles me. Like it's, yeah. it's also, They're I mean, so like, like kids pick up things in the womb. They pick up yeah. things before they even speak. Yeah. Like those first like few years are so formative. They just see yeah. how you react to things and your behavior and your mannerisms. So it's like, and when you ask, when you ask children, it's the same. Like I always like think about that when it comes to, you know, veganism and stuff like eating meat is learned behavior. Yeah. Right. Like if you ask a kid like, oh, you're going to go eat that duck. They're going to be like, no, that's a live, cute Mm -hmm. little duck, you know? And it's like a similar thing of like, they're taught hate. Mm -hmm. They're taught that. But they're born already with love. They don't need to be taught. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. They don't need to. So it's like, it's all, it's all conditioning. So, yeah. I've loved this. That's a conclusion. There's a lot of conditioning. (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah. I'm like, I, I sense that too. I'm like, that's a great spot to end it. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much, Maria. This no, my pleasure. Let's uh, share how to uh, find you online and how to find your work and all of that fun stuff. Yes. So I'm at Be Conscious PR on Instagram. I also have my personal slash yoga profile, which I don't update very much. But if you do want to connect with me on there, that's at Maria.Eilerson. And then um, finding out about how I work with people in PR is all on my website, BeConsciousPR.com. I both have long-term coaching partnerships and I also have one-off sessions and I am always a DM away or an email away. I love connecting with people. So even if you just, if anything resonated or you just want to say hi, please, please send me a message. Awesome. I also want to ask you for the um, link to your article that you said you were writing Oh yes, and a few other things that I wrote down. Um, And then I'm just remembering now, do you still have a little time? Mm -hmm. Like 10 minutes? Okay, cool. Uh, there's some questions that I like to ask at the end of podcast episodes now that I wasn't doing the last time I had you on. Okay. So uh, the first one is what does self-love mean to you? Mm, that's hard. Self-love. <laughs> I think it's like, it's acceptance of who you are and yeah, and then I guess the obvious is loving yourself, but I think it really is, and it starts with an acceptance. Mm-hmm. And then finish this phrase: "The way to my heart is food." <laughs> Same. <Yeah. laughs> or I should say, more specifically, chocolate. But yeah. <laughs> and then, when do you feel most alive? I think when I'm singing. Ooh. You don't share that on Instagram. No, no, I don't. (laughs) Maybe that's the next level of your expression online. Yeah, yeah, probably. That's, I mean, it's, I've done a few open mics in, um, in London before I moved here and I've been wanting to do something here, but I haven't done it yet. Is that the gig that you said you and Raquel went to? No, no, no. That wasn't a, that wasn't a, an open mic. That would be a lot like first date. Hey, come watch me sing. (laughs) Yeah, you'd have to be a yeah, you'd have to be Although a my singing huge teacher, extrovert for that. Yeah. <laughs> Although my singing teacher did tell me that she would do that in London sometimes if she wanted to impress a guy. She was uh, <laughs> like, "Oh yeah, I'm performing at this gig," and she's like, "It always works." It's like, well, "Come yeah. watch me You're perform like, for the male gaze." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and she's an incredible singer too. But yeah, I mean, I always yeah. She did. Like Raquel has come to see me though for open mics, and oh, she did quite cool. early on as well, which is really nice. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's something that I, it's on my list of things that I want to do, do more of. Yeah. And then um, last question specifically for this month, I want to know what your favorite part is about being queer. Mm, I love this question. I feel like I want to think about it. <laughs> um, honestly, I think I love the freedom. Like I love the, all the different ways it can be expressed. Like I love the diversity of it. Um, and the more, the longer I'm out for, the more I like can't imagine ever going back to, you know, in the closet and pretending to be straight. Like it's just such a beautiful 
yeah, it's a beautiful community and it's beautiful, these different ways to identify. I think it's, it makes the world, I mean, not to be like cliche, more colorful, but it's just, <laughs> I don't know, just there's so many ways to be and express. And I just, yeah, I get so yeah. excited whenever I see anyone else expressing that. And if anything, like I want to, I, you know, I want to express that more. It's why I died, started dyeing my hair different colors. I was like, it's just, it's this, it's this beautiful freedom, I think, to just mm-hmm. be seen as who you are and be all the magic that you are. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. <laughs> Thank you again so much for being on Openly Spoken for a third time. Mm, my pleasure. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Openly Spoken. I know that there's an abundance of content online, so I really appreciate you giving me your ears today. If this episode shifted something for you, please share this with a friend and slash or write us a podcast review if you're listening to this on iTunes so that more people can find this. If anything shifted for you from this episode that you want to have a conversation about, I would love to hear from you. Just send me a DM over on Instagram at selfexpressedbabe, and that is in the show notes. Thanks again for tuning in, and I'll see you next time.